Podcast Network Asia. I've read the book of Revelation. I don't know if I've read the whole thing. Um, it's not exactly the book that you you go to first. So what did Jacob do? He he fought to the point of never giving up. He says, I am not gonna let go. Right? So that's what the word Israel actually means to fight and overcome. In John 16:33, Jesus says, Take heart, for I have overcome the world. So Jesus is basically calling himself Israel. And then what does he do? What's the evidence that that he becomes Israel? He has 12 disciples. Yeah. <laughs> in Revelation, there is the child that's born by the woman. In Revelation chapter 12, he fights against the dragon. And in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, it says he overcomes them by the blood of the lamb and the word of testimony. So they fight and overcome, right? And then what does he create in Revelation 7? The 12 tribes. 12 tribes. Ah. Road to 200, you guys. <laughs> we are 30 episodes shy of episode 200. This is 170. And we are doing a Road to Revelation episode with Mika. Mika was on the um, episode prior to this one. And we learned about her faith journey. And she brought us some great questions that led to a really enlightening conversation based on the Bible. And today... Um, we are welcoming you and asking you to come on in the narrow door and hit the road to Revelation. We're talking about a very interesting parable, which is another term for figurative language that we see in the Bible, Mika. And, you know, the church that Instructor Aaron belongs to, which is called New Heaven and New Earth, Shinjani Church of Jesus, they are testifying right now about the book of Revelation, which is a book of prophecy about the second coming we know that God is, as we talked about in the last episode, a God of promise, right? And he has made promises within the Bible of Old Testament and New Testament. The first coming was something that was fulfilling the Old Testament, but then there's promises and prophecies that Jesus said, these things are going to happen again. Now, it's been 2,000 years, right? 2,000 years. Many people have proclaimed something or another. This is this. This is that. Uh, the, the difference would be whether or not... It's something that they had imagined it to be, or whether they had desired for it to be the fulfillment, that type of thing, or just out of their own thoughts, maybe, you know, thinking that it could be, or is it something that is literally taking place where, you know, God, Jesus, the angels, they're actually actively involved in it and making these things known. Now, the only way to prove that obviously is by everything being fulfilled according to the promises. So first you have to know the promises. You have to know what those promises are. And then you have to understand how these promises are going to be fulfilled. And then you can understand, are these things literally taking place according to the promise? And if they are, then we have to ask the question, what time are we living in? Because the time of the people at the time of the first coming, the people that were living at that time, they had no idea they were living at that time, right? Their bodies were living at the time of the first coming where God is fulfilling his work but their spirits and their mindset, they were still in the Old Testament. They're still waiting for the fulfillment. And Jesus is saying, actually, it's happening right now, right? It's happening yeah. right before you, but you can't see it. You can't understand it because you don't know the promises and prophecies. So what we're saying is the same thing is happening today. Hmm. Mika, are you familiar at all with the book of Revelation? Is the second coming something that you think about often, if at all? I mean, I've read the book of Revelation. I don't know if I've read the whole thing. Um, it's not exactly the book that you 
you go to first. Right? Not the most pleasant one for most people. You go to like Psalms or <laughs> Romans, Hebrews, but you don't go be like, ha, I feel like reading Revelation today, you know? Sure. Um, so yes, I've encountered it. Do I believe in the second coming? Yes. Do I feel like it's soon? Um, the Bible does say nobody really knows, right? When, when it's going to happen. But you do see signs of the times. So when you said signs, do you, what do you think? Like whatever is happening now, do you see any signs of a second coming by any chance? I'm just wondering. Correct me if I'm wrong, Sir Aaron, but there is a verse that talks about the increase in wickedness. Yeah. Right. So and the love, the love of most will grow cold, is what it says. Like the what? The love of what? Sorry. The, the love. Oh, sorry. The love of most will grow cold. So Ooh. people's people's faith becomes cold, uh, as you said. Wickedness begins to increase, and the reason for that is because of what's in control at that time. Right. The Bible is very clear that at the time of the end, that's when Satan is going to be in a lot of control. And because of that, there's not a lot of the, the truth that's being spoken. And because the truth is not being spoken, people are deceived. Right. That's real deception. Real deception is believing that you're following the truth when in reality you're not. Right. So like the Pharisees, the scribes, they believed they were following God. But Jesus was very clear you're not, right? That's true deception. And in the time of the second coming, that's what's promised again, that a deception will be on all nations of the earth, right? Revelation 18 says, all nations have drunk the maddening wine. And of course, wine represents, you know, teachings, maddening, meaning that you can't think straight. Spiritually, you can't think straight anymore. So when someone is testifying the truth, because you're so drunk off of the false teachings, you refuse to believe in it. You refuse to see it. So we have to wake up, as it says, right? Come out of your stupor, as it says, right? Your drunken stupor and become, mm. you know, sober in the eyes of God, if you will. Wow. Yeah. Tough times. Tough times. Tough times. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah right? So, you know, with the road to revelation and what we talk about, this breaking down of the figurative language is really the attempt at understanding what the prophecy is, because as instructor Aaron says all the time, you know, we are promised signs of the second coming, but if we don't know what they are, then how do we know to believe them, right? So this is that stage where we are trying to understand, well, what is supposed to happen exactly? And there's a lot to break down. I mean, if you have read the book of Revelation, I mean, there's a lot of wild things happening in there. Not much of it makes sense if you take it literally. And Shinshinji right. stands is that's because this is all spiritual text. It's spiritual text. Um, so today we're talking about three kinds of Israel, Instructor Aaron. If you're thinking, I didn't know there were three kinds of Israel in the Bible, that, you know, that would be all of us, except Instructor Aaron, hey. I think, right? And I think, and at the risk of sounding like a complete idiot, it was really just recently that I even realized that Israel, you know, we know it as a country today, but it really started out with a person and they were a people. And today they're a country, but they weren't, you know, they didn't start out as a country, you know? So yeah, that's been my journey on the whole Israel thing. But anyway, Instructor Aaron, there are three kinds of Israel in the Bible. But you don't, you don't have to feel, you know, like 
foolish or or anything like that by not understanding. Thank you, thank you for saying that. <clears throat> no, because these things are, as we proclaim, these things are, they're a mystery. That's the whole point. You know, even Israel itself, it says the mystery concerning Israel, right? That there can oh. be a time of Israel becoming hardened and, you know, all these different things. The the whole purpose is this. And, and again, this is going back to what time that we're living in, things like that. So Mika, we mentioned earlier in the last one where sometimes you will feel, you could feel uncomfortable if you're praying in front of somebody, they may make you feel like, you know, you're foolish or things like that. Imagine that same thing when you are testifying that revelation is being fulfilled. And that's basically what, you know, we go through all the time because it sounds foolish. I'll be perfectly honest. It does. It sounds like you're crazy. It sounds like, you know, there's been a thousand other people that have proclaimed this before in the past. What makes you think that you are testifying to anything that's different than that? Why is it that, that you have the truth and all these other people were just crazy? So that's where everyone has to come from because that's just the reality of it. That's what people are going to think. So how do you prove otherwise? The only way is by using the Bible as a standard. That's the only way. There's no other standard that we can judge God's work from. There's no philosophy, right? There's no uh, scientific method, right? There's nothing outside of the Bible that you can either prove something right or prove something wrong. So the Bible becomes the standard. That's why the Bible is so important because we all have it as a standard. So you have to be able to prove in detail that these things are happening. And this is one of the ways before revelation is revealed, before the actual secrets of the kingdom of heaven are made known, it's a secret. So no one knows it. So in Isaiah chapter 29, it talks about a sealed scroll, which is the vision of Isaiah, the entire vision of Isaiah. And it says that no one can read it. No one can read it. No one even understands it. It's not that you couldn't literally read it. They could read the book of Isaiah every single day, but nobody understood what the prophecies meant because they were sealed to them. So a prophecy, for example, about Jesus being the, the lamb that's going to be slaughtered in Isaiah 53. Nobody understood what that really meant. Or in Isaiah 28, verse 16, where it says that God is going to lay a stone in Zion, right? A precious cornerstone. So for 700 years, when you're reading the book of Isaiah, you have no idea what that stone is. You could read it every single day, but you just would not understand what it meant, right? Same thing when it comes to Revelation. Now, when Jesus came at the time of the first coming, he testified what that stone was. He says, I am that living stone. He unrolled the scroll of Isaiah, right? In Luke chapter four, he unrolls the scroll of Isaiah and he found a spot and it's reading Isaiah 61. And he reads that scripture and says, this is fulfilled in your hearing, right? So until that moment, they had no idea what that scripture actually was, was talking about. It's a secret until it's revealed. That's what revelation actually means. You have revelation that's in a vision and then revelation that's literally taking place at that moment. So what we've had for 2000 years is a revelation written in a vision. That's why it's fantastical. That's why we have a beast with seven heads and 10 horns. Mm -hmm. We have a horse with a head on the tail breathing fire, right? Weird, crazy things like that. But when the actual fulfillment comes, it's not going to be an animal that comes out of the ocean. It's going to be something that is figuratively represented by that animal. And then we're going to be able to understand what that means because God reveals it through the fulfillment. The actual physical entities appear. 
when that happens, the secrets and mysteries of God are now being revealed. One of them being Israel. The real understanding, according to God's thoughts, what Israel actually means. Does that make sense so far? Yeah, I think so. Okay. So, <laughs> so jumping to Israel, you're, you're close. It actually even begins before just a person. It's a blessing. It's a oh. blessing given to that person. So the person themselves was not Israel when they were born, right? It was actually Jacob, right. right? He was born as Jacob, which actually means to grasp one's heel. He was a deceiver, if you will, in a way, because he was, you know, he even deceived his father to get the blessing and things like that. People are like, well, why would God use somebody like that? Because of the heart that he had, he was unwilling to give up. That's the kind of people that God needs in order to overcome the evil in this world. You cannot give up when you're fighting against Satan, you can't. So you have to be willing to fight and overcome. So this is the whole concept of Israel, okay? In Jeremiah, I'm sorry, in Genesis 32, right? Genesis 32, Jacob fights against an angel. So God provides an enemy for him. He provides uh, someone he has to fight with, okay? Because this is the whole premise of Israel. You gotta remember this, okay? This is really important. Israel, the, the way to become Israel is there has to be someone who's chosen. So that was Jacob. He was chosen above Esau because of his heart. There has to be an enemy, right? An enemy that you're going to fight. And so God provided that enemy because he wanted to give him this blessing. And then you have to overcome. So what did Jacob do? He, he fought to the point of never giving up. He says, I am not going to let go. I refuse to let go until you bless me. And the blessing he received was you will no longer be called Jacob, but will be called Israel. So he overcame. Because you fought with man and with God and overcame. Right? So that's what the word Israel actually means to fight and overcome. To fight and overcome. Because the names in the Bible, and especially in the Old Testament, they had meaning to them. So the name Israel, that's really what it means. And it becomes synonymous with God's people, right? Now Israel becomes God's people. And then the next step is what you do with that name. And what you do with it, what proves that you are Israel is that you have 12 tribes. Because that's how many sons Jacob had, right? He had the 12 sons eventually, right? You had Joseph that goes into Egypt, finally Benjamin, and then you have the 12 and they finally get together and they become the 12 tribes of what we know of as Israel. Israel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's the beginning. That's the beginning of Israel. And they become God's chosen people. They then grow to a vast amount. And then they're taken out of, you know, Egypt and they're brought into the promised land. Now, before they go there, and this is a really important part of it. Before they go there, God makes a promise with them. And this is why people are so adamant about physical Israel, because of this particular promise. So in Exodus 19, verse 5 and 6, God says, if you obey me fully, and this is really important, if, right, if you obey me fully, then out of all nations, you will be for me my treasured possession. Right? You will be for me a kingdom and priest. Although the whole earth is mine, the whole world is mine, but you will be something special is what he's saying. Right? If you obey me fully. So it's not, again, God is not our slave. Right? 
And God doesn't change his mind, but it's a conditional promise. If you obey me, then out of all nations. So what happens if they don't obey? Does God still have to give them that blessing? Nope. Does that mean that he changes his mind? No, right? Because it's, it's a conditional promise, right? So that's what you have to really understand. The physical Israelites, and we call them physical Israel because they're bloodline, right? It's literally a physical people that actually existed. They had the 12 tribes. They could trace their ancestry all the way back. But when Jesus came, right, when Jesus came, everything changed. Everything changed. The promise that, that God made, he wanted to make them his, his people. He wanted them to be the ones to bless the whole world, to make all of this world God's people. That's what he desired. But they broke the covenant. Right? It's very clear. In Hosea chapter 6, verse 7, it says, like Adam, they broke the covenant. So in Jeremiah 31, in Jeremiah 31, God says, I'm going to make a new covenant because you broke my covenant. Although I was a husband to you, you broke my covenant. So he's going to make a new covenant, meaning he's promising to make a new promise. He didn't do it at that moment, but he promises that he will, right? How meta. I promise I will make a I new promise. promise. I... <laughs> <laughs> so who's he going to give that promise to? That's the key. Is he going to give it back to the people that betrayed him? No. He's going to give it to a new people. That's why in Jeremiah 31, in uh, chapter in verse 22, he says, I'm going to create a new thing. So the old thing was the physical Israelites. That's what the old thing was. He had been working with physical Israel. He had been working with the sinners of this world, people that were born by the seed, you know, this, uh, the sinful seed of Adam, right? For thousands of years, he's working with them to try to get them to actually create his kingdom, but they could not overcome sin. They kept falling to sin and betraying God. So what is God do? He actually holds up his end of the bargain. He still does. He brought the Messiah. He allowed them the opportunity to receive forgiveness for their sins, to become that righteous people. But what did they do? They killed the Messiah. Killed the Messiah. Amen. Yeah, they rejected him. They rejected the promise of God. So what does this mean? In, in again, in Matthew 23, it says the kingdom of heaven has been taken from you. He's talking to the Pharisees, the physical Israelites at that time. He says, the kingdom of heaven has been taken from you and given to a people that will produce God's fruit. So all that is judgment. That's God bringing it to an end. He brings it to an end. And how he prophesies how it's coming to an end is by the sun, moon, and stars going dark. It's already prophesied in the Old Testament that this is how the end of Israel is going to take place. In Isaiah chapter 13, Isaiah chapter uh, 24, and Isaiah 34. And 34 actually is really close. It's almost exactly word for word what Jesus says in Matthew 24 for the second coming. But it talks about the sun, moon, and stars no longer giving their light, that the, they will fall from the skies, the sky will recede like a scroll, all kinds of things. Actually, it's more like Revelation 6. It's more, and we talked about, you know, the destruction of Revelation yeah. 6 before. Yeah. I think that was like yeah. really surprising to me, you know, with the whole sun, moon, stars, heaven coming, well, falling down and darken and, you know, all that stuff. Like what was surprising to me about that was we see that same, same language in the Old Testament because today we take that to mean like, oh, at the time of second coming, the whole universe is going to collapse 
And that's how it's all going to come to an end. But if it's already been said in the Old Testament for the time of first coming, and that is not what happened, then why do we think differently about the same thing, which is prophesied for the second coming? So, I mean, we've clarified that that is not what we're talking about in the Bible. So how did all these things happen at the time of the first coming? Jesus spoke the word of judgment, right? His words were like fire, as it says. He says, I've come to bring fire on this earth. Right? Luke yeah. chapter 12, verse 49, I've come to bring fire on this earth. It says he had an ax that was ready to, you know, chop the trees down at the root, you know, that type of thing. And then he judges them and he brings them to an end. So that's the end of what we refer to as physical Israel. Does it mean the people disappeared off the planet? No, but it means they're no longer the chosen people of God. That's what God was trying to tell them. And he was making a new chosen people a new righteous people. Now, the reason Israel, this is, again, it can be controversial, obviously, but the reason why Israel is so important to understand is because there's still scriptures that talk about Israel being redeemed. In Revelation, there's the 12 tribes of Israel that are created once again. But if that's all you understand it as, then are you really understanding what God's true desire is? So if you understand what Israel means and how Israel changed at the time of the first coming, then you'll start to understand. Okay. Okay. So That's I true. wanted to give an opportunity to this because I, sometimes I find I talk too much without any breaks. So I want you guys to, be, to go first. I just remember being, and this was very early on in the podcast. I don't remember exactly what we were talking about, but I was so blown away by something that has something to do with this. Right. And, oh, I think it was about like genealogy that we see in the Bible. Hmm. And so in the Old Testament Bible, really big on genealogies, right? Like this person gave birth to this person and then this person and like that kind of thing. We see a lot of that because as you say, in the Old Testament time, it was all about physical bloodline and there's a record of this. But when we now move on to the New Testament Bible, there is still a genealogy, but it ends with Jesus. Mm -hmm. Because with the coming of Jesus, the physical bloodline being the chosen people of God, it stopped there. It became spiritual now. And I was just like, oh my gosh, because you see it like it's in the Bible. I think it's in like Matthew chapter one or something like that. And I remember just being blown away by that. So that has something to do with this, right? Mm. So now that we're on like say the second coming and Israel's being mentioned again in chapter Aaron, this means it's all spiritual. Yeah, we got to get through the first coming to get to the second, right? So what happened at the time of the first coming that can prove to us that it's something spiritual? That's the key. It's one thing if I just say it, but again, you have to go to the scriptures. And if the Bible shows us that this is what actually took place, then we, we have to believe in it, right? We have to believe in it. So if you look at, again, just like you said, Matthew chapter one, right? Going from verse one to 18, it's all the genealogy. And then, as you said, it stops with Jesus. And from that point on, there's no genealogy left in the scriptures, right? It doesn't matter. And it actually says, don't get caught up with endless genealogies that people like to actually, you know, look at it. It just causes controversy. In other words, he's saying, don't even worry about it anymore. Because just like you said, it has nothing to do with physical bloodline. How do we know this? Go to John chapter one. Verses 11 through 13. If you look at John chapter one, verses 11 through 13, it says he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. 
So God gave the right to anyone, anyone who believed in his name to become a child of God, not a child born of natural descent or a husband's decision or human will, but born of God. That right there proves that God's people to be a child of God was no longer physical. And Paul makes this very, very clear. Paul is, as you said, right? You call him the rock star. He's got, he received that revelation directly from Jesus. And so he preaches, he says, the gospel that I speak, it's not something that man made up. It's not something that I was taught by man. I received it directly from Jesus, right? In Galatians chapter one. So in Romans chapter eight, verse 28 and 29, he says, a man is not a Jew, right? And Jew meaning the chosen people of God, right? The Israelites, a man is not a Jew if he is one outwardly and physical, right? And circumcision is not outward and physical. Circumcision is done by the, by the heart, by the spirit not by the written code. So he's saying that to be a Jew is one inwardly, is what he says, not outwardly. Outwardly would be physical. But a real Jew, a spiritual Jew, is one inwardly because your spirit is born to be a child of God. So in Romans chapter 8, it talks about how if you have Christ within you, then you become a child of God. You become the sons of God is what it says. And the reason sons were not being you know, uh, misogynistic or anything like that. Um, to be a, a son, it's because you have the seed of God. So spiritually, you're a male, right? Not physically. We're not talking about that. It has nothing to do with that. But spiritually, you have God's word. Luke 8, 11, the word is the seed. So you are becoming a child of God. So that's what it says. You call out Abba, Father, right? And then in Romans 9, in Romans 9, it talks about how you are, you are not a uh, a person of Israel, just simply because you come from physical Israel, right? Nor are you a child of God born naturally. You're a child born spiritually, right? So mm -hmm. all these things are saying the same thing, right? All of them are leading up to the same thing. So that's two kinds of Israel, I'm assuming, because the first one was the physical bloodline Israel. And then with Jesus's first coming, things now shifted to being spiritual. And I think this is maybe like general knowledge for any Christian who like digs deep into scripture um, because you're right. As you mentioned, all of these verses, there are all these references that say it's not about being, you know, someone so-and-so's descendant. Anyone who believed in Jesus was now given the chance to be a child of God. You are now the chosen people, if you will, right? But we are talking about three kinds of Israel. So there's right. another one, Instructor Aaron. So the key is first, um, where did Israel come in the first coming? How do you, you know, how do you get that term to be able to be attached to, you know, the spiritual children? And that's why I said it's so important to understand how Israel was given to begin with. Right. So Israel was a blessing that was given by someone first that has to be chosen. Then there has to be an enemy that you fight. You have yeah, to be able to overcome, overcome. Yeah. exactly. And then what was the evidence that you become Israel? What do you have to create? 12 tribes. Amen. The 12 tribes. <laughs> Took a while. I was buffering right? there a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. 12 tribes. So think about, think about Jesus. Okay. It says that Jesus mm -hmm. was chosen, right? Luke chapter nine or first Peter chapter two, it says chosen by God. Jesus was chosen by God. Then what did Jesus do at the time of the first coming? Who was he fighting against? Pharisees, Pharisees and the, the leaders at that time. And also, 
Satan. Sure. Oh, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he fought against Satan numerous times, especially in the desert. But while he's fighting against the Pharisees and scribes, he's fighting against them because they're being controlled by Satan. So in reality, he's fighting against the powers of Satan. And they're the ones that are in control of the world, God's world, at that time. So there's a very, very important verse, John 16, 33. In John 16, 33, Jesus says, take heart, for I have overcome the world. And what did Israel mean? The one who overcomes. So Jesus is basically calling himself Israel. He was the light of the world. He was Zion. He was Mount Zion, right? He was the chosen person of God. He's the throne of God. And then what does he do? What's the evidence that that he becomes Israel? He has 12 disciples. Yeah. (laughs) You ever wondered why there was 12? Oh my gosh. Instead of 24, 82, what, you know? Yeah, why He chose 12 for a purpose. And that's why James in the book, when it says to the 12 tribes of Israel scattered throughout the world, it's not talking about physical Israel. He's not talking because the book itself is written to the believers in Christ. So the physical Israelites, they're not waiting for Jesus to come at that time. They're not the ones that are going to learn about, you know, the teachings of the church of Christ at that time. They don't have anything to do with it. So he's talking to the 12 tribes that were created through Jesus. Jesus. And that's why we call them the 12 tribes of what's referred to as spiritual Israel, born by the power of the spirit, not born by the written code. And for 2000 years, that's been God's people right? 2000 years. That's been the field in which everyone has grown. But what Revelation is promising, all the prophecies that talked about how God's people are going to come to an end, you have to look at how they're promised. It's promised that someone is going to come and judge the betrayers. The sun, moon, and stars are going to go dark. All of this destruction is going to come, and then something new is going to be created, right? So without going into all the details, because that's really, I mean, really, you have to learn all of the prophecies and promises of the second coming. But when you look at Matthew 24, what does it talk about? It says, watch out that no one deceives you. That's the very first thing that Jesus says when he's asked, what's going to happen? What are the signs of the second coming and the end of the age? When is this going to happen? And as, you know, as Mika brought up, no one knows. He says, no one knows the day or the hour, but watch for these signs. Wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines, the love of most will grow cold, wickedness will increase, right? The the abomination that causes desolation will stand in the holy place. It says that you have to flee where? Flee to the mountains. And then what does it say in verses 29 to 31? It says the sun, moon, and stars are going to go dark. Then Jesus will come with a loud trumpet call and gather his elect, right? And he's going to recreate. So first the sun, moon, and stars have to go dark then there's recreation. So in Revelation chapter six, it's the exact same thing. Isaiah 34 and Revelation chapter six are almost identical when they're talking. It says that the sun's no longer going to give its light. The moon's going to fall, you know, turn blood red. The stars are going to dissolve and fall from the skies. The the scroll is going to, or the sky is going to recede like a scroll, right? Everything's going to fall like late figs dropping from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. That is the end of an era an end of a generation. And then Revelation 7 is when the 12 tribes are being created once again. 
So 12 tribes are being created once again in Revelation, but how does Israel begin, right? What do you need? You need someone chosen by God. You need an enemy to fight. You need to overcome. And then you have to create the 12 tribes, right? In Revelation, there is the child that's born by the woman in Revelation chapter 12. He fights against the dragon. And in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, it says he overcomes them by the blood of the lamb and the word of testimony. So they fight and overcome, right? And then what does he create in Revelation 7? The 12 tribes. tribes. That's what's referred to as new spiritual Israel. Because you don't go back to the physical, right? It goes from physical to spiritual. And then from spiritual, when that comes to an end, a new spiritual Israel is created at the time of Revelation. And that becomes God's chosen people that are creating God's eternal kingdom. There's no end. So in Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, it talks about an eternal kingdom that will be created. And this is when God now comes to be one with his people. Right? Revelation chapter 21. The holy city, New Jerusalem, becomes one with the 12 tribes. And it says that now God is dwelling with men and he will live with them forever. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. The old order of things has passed away. And it says, look, I am making everything new. That's God's will for the time of the end. So I have a question. So if Jesus at the time of first coming created 12 tribes, if you will, what happened to them? I mean, I like, does, does my question make sense? I don't even know how to phrase it really, but in my head, it kind of goes. That's my like, problem. <laughs> you're rubbing off on me, Tina. No, because 12 disciples. Yes. Because there were 12 tribes at the time of the old Testament, Jesus came, had 12 disciples. And then I think you said earlier, there's a verse somewhere in the new Testament Bible where the, the Christians or the followers of Jesus at that time are addressed as the 12 tribes, right? Mm. But we don't have 12 tribes in the Christian world. Where yeah, they go? Not, not as if you are, and it's very clear that you're, you don't care who it is that taught you. Paul is very you know, clear about this. It says it doesn't matter who, you know, who taught you. Some say, oh, I was baptized by this person. I was baptized by that person. None of it matters. Um, I planted the seed. Apollos watered it, but only God can make it grow is what he's saying. So when we say 12 tribes, all we're equating it to is God's people, oh. right? God's people. That's all you need to think about it as because the 12 disciples minus one, right? Judas, of course, did his, his job at, you know, unfortunately he betrayed, betrayed Jesus, Jesus and was, mm-hmm. yeah, received that punishment as a result. But then Matthias takes over, right? So there's still 12. Why do they have to fill it again? What, what's the purpose of putting one in there, right? There had to be 12. Now, why? Why was there 12 and what happened to them? Such a good question. Such a good question. Okay, good. Because I was like, is this question dumb? (laughs) No, but to understand it, again, it's really very spiritual. Okay, so what is God's desire? God's desire is to first create something in the spiritual realm. That's God's desire. That's why in John chapter 14, what does Jesus say? I go to prepare a place for you. And where I go, I will come and take you to be with me. Right? He's talking to who? He's talking to his disciples. So he's going to prepare a place for them. What is that place? It's the holy city, New Jerusalem. So when you look at Revelation chapter 21, 
it shows that the holy city new jerusalem it's it details exactly how it's created and it says that it has 12 gates on the holy city and on it are written the 12 tribes of israel the names of the 12 tribes of israel it says it has 12 foundation stones right 12 foundation stones and on those are written the names of the 12 disciples disciples so in ephesians chapter 2 verses 20 to 22 or first peter chapter 2 it says that you like living stones you right people like living stones are being built into a spiritual kingdom so what did jesus you know what did jesus desire okay god was using the sinners of the world in order to try to create his kingdom they were unable to overcome because they did not have the ability to have their sins truly cleansed by the physical sacrifices of animals. That's what Hebrews 10 says. And as Mika pointed out in the last one, it wasn't until Jesus came, right? But now at the time of the first coming, what's possible? Well, what's possible is that once Jesus died and resurrected, he died for our sins. He paid the debt of our sins. So all those people that believed in that truth at that time could be washed clean their spirits could be made pure. Their spirits could be made holy, righteous. Their bodies died, but what happened to their spirits? They were being used to create a spiritual kingdom in heaven, the holy city, New Jerusalem. That's why the foundation stones have the names of the 12 disciples. Revelation chapter 20 talks about those that were beheaded because of the word of God. All of the martyrs that gave their lives at the time of the first coming were built into that spiritual kingdom. Their spirits were used to create a spiritual kingdom. But what does God truly desire? The spirit and the flesh to become one. So in Matthew chapter six, what Jesus Heaven prays in the Lord's down. prayer, yeah, is thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So in John chapter 14, Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'm going to take you and make you and build you into that spiritual kingdom. But in Matthew chapter 25, which is also talking about the second coming, it says that that holy city, New Jerusalem, that spiritual kingdom will be brought and given to the people that are like the sheep-like believers at the time of the second coming. So if it's created in heaven, it has to be created on earth. Your will be done as it is in heaven, so it be done on earth. So if there's 12 tribes in heaven, the 12 tribes of spiritual Israel, there also has to be the 12 tribes on earth. So in the time of Revelation, the physical 12 tribes that are created through the fulfillment of Revelation, they become the physical kingdom of God and the spiritual kingdom comes down, Revelation chapter 21, right? The holy city, New Jerusalem comes down out of heaven and the two become one. So where are the 12 tribes? They are in that spiritual realm. And that's why in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus says, that you will sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. He says that to his disciples. So that's going to be their position at the end. That's where that judgment happens when that holy city, New Jerusalem, and the kingdom of heaven become one. That's orderly, huh? Like he wants organized. Like he's pretty much organized. It's all, it's all promised. Every detail. But most people don't. I don't know it. So your church has 12 tribes, right? Yeah. What are you hinting at? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you ask, I mean, why in the world would I be able to testify these things or why am I saying these things? And, and 
the, the only way possible is if things are literally being fulfilled. Otherwise, why would I even know that this is necessary? So inside of the church of Shinchenji, okay, how is Shinchenji created? Uh, Shinchenji means new heaven, new earth. Okay, it's just, a, it's just a Korean term. It just means new heaven, new earth, right? Shinchun, Shinji. It's actually Chinese characters. So really it's Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. So what does God desire? A new heaven and a new earth. It's not a physical globe and the universe. It's a new people and new kingdom. So how new heaven, new earth or Shinchenji, Church of Jesus, the temple of the tabernacle of testimony, all that, how it was created is because revelation being fulfilled. So someone was chosen, right? Someone was chosen. He had to fight against an enemy. He had to fight against the beast with seven heads and 10 horns fight against the group of the dragon. Now, what does that mean? Again, I'm not going to try to get into that right now because that's a lot, but it literally has an understanding. You can literally understand every single detail, how he fought them, when he fought them, how he overcame every single detail. Once he fought and overcame, what did he have to do? He had to create the 12 tribes. How do you do that? You do that by testifying to people getting them to understand the time that they're living in, the fulfillment, they in turn understand the truth and believe in it and become a part of it. Once they become a part of it, they are spiritually born as a result of receiving that truth. Mika, I, I'm sure, you know, you're, I'm sure you have a lot of thoughts. Her face <laughs> and is or feelings questions. at this point, you know? <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's a lot of information. So I'm yeah. just trying to absorb as much. Um, okay, so new heaven, new earth, because I know that that happens after Jesus comes back, right? Like after um, the second coming. But there are arguments wherein some scholars say that is is the whole tribulation gonna come before or after oh like the pre-trib post-trib yeah yeah like mid-trib all, all of all of the trip stuff yeah. <laughs> very tribby <laughs> yeah and again everything has to everything has to line up everything has to be fulfilled according to prophecy so there's Matthew 24, which talks about, you know, certain prophecies that have to happen. There's, you know, Luke chapter 17 or Luke chapter 21, talk about very similar things as well. You have verses like 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians is a very important one. Okay, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3 says, concerning the coming of our Lord. Okay, so concerning the second coming. Don't let anyone fool you by any prophecy or anything you know, any false alarm, basically, or any letter supposing to have come from us, because it cannot happen until. until. Right? So what has to happen? Yeah. So things have to happen first before Jesus comes. It says concerning the coming of our Lord, this will not happen until. Until what? Until the rebellion occurs, right? And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. So the first signs that we're looking for is a rebellion. So you have to ask, well, what kind of a rebellion? Who rebels, right? How do we know about this rebellion? What is the man of lawlessness? How is he revealed, right? These are all things that we need to know. These are the signs that we have to look out for. If we don't understand what that means, then of course we could be looking right at it and never know. So that's why I say, 
You have to know the promises and prophecies first. Then you have to be taught and understand how they're going to be fulfilled. And that's why revelation is so important. See, Matthew 24 has the basic signs, but revelation is detailed. It is extremely detailed. So if you want to know exactly when Jesus comes and how, that's what you have to learn. And that's what we're testifying. We're saying, if you want to learn that, then come and learn. Anyone. Start from the beginning and learn the basic understandings of the figurative language, the parables. Start from that. Learn all the way that Jesus spoke, all the way that God has been speaking for thousands of years. Then go to the book of Revelation and see how everything makes sense. Then learn the actual fulfillment of what we're saying is actually happening. And then you can see, you can verify for yourself whether or not something is true. Now, of course, many people, they're not going to like it. And you can look and you can see there are many people that say that this is, you know, wrong in many ways, that it's, you know, evil in many ways or all these things. It's no different than the time of the first coming. Absolutely no different. So it's up to each and every person on their own to be able to, you know, verify and see whether or not it's true. Recording this I stuff. I just trying to like absorb everything. Yeah. And, like, I I mean, I, I get that the I get the revelations is obviously not literal, right? I mean, the when it talks about the beasts and the heads and all of that, it, it's really not um, literal. But I I I somehow thought that uh, the moon turning red was literal, like because because. Mm. There has been like blood moons and um, the past few years, right? And um, yeah, I guess we never really know until it happens, right? Because no, and you're right. And that's the thing. There's been a lot of, that's why it's kind of, you know, dangerous to think about it in that physical sense. There has been, you know, eclipses that have happened, right? There's been blood moons that have taken place. There's been you know, earthquakes and famines and all those things that have happened for the last 2000 years. So that's why, you know, when people understand it in that, that, you know, physical sense, that's because that's the only way they know how no one's ever shown them that there's a figurative understanding because God has been, you know, keeping, like I said, keeping that secret. But if he did the exact same thing in the old Testament, then people can say, huh, okay, I can see what you mean, but how does this fit? Right. And how does this fit? That's when you start getting into being able to ask, you know, the questions. Most of the time, we don't even know the right questions to ask. Right. Yeah, that too. I think for me, the thing that I'm still thinking about right now is like, oh my goodness, God's kingdom always had 12 tribes. Always had 12 tribes. What's so special about number 12, you mean? And I think this is why a lot of people get into like, do you, do we call it numerology even? like in the christian way of saying it because i think when you say numerology we're talking about like the zodiac stuff you know the the eastern whatever but yes people put a lot of meaning into like say the number 12 you know these are very um what is the term what is the term i'm looking looking for conspicuous like it's a conspicuous number seven and 12 and i was born on july 12 oh there you go it must (laughs) mean something but yeah, I think there is, there's a significance to it, obviously. Um, I don't know if, if it, you know, all the things that I've heard about these numbers um, are true, but yes, 12 tribes. 
I mean, that's a pattern, basically. There's reasons why these numbers exist in the Bible, but it's not usually what people think. It's so that we could recognize the work. Mm. Think about it this way, okay? If you know that there's meant to be 12 tribes, then when 12 tribes appear, you know that's God's work, oh. right? If someone created 14 tribes and says that it's God's work, it wouldn't, it wouldn't fit because that's not what God is creating. So he chose 12. Why 12? Maybe someday we'll have to ask him. You know, we'll ask God, why 12? But, <laughs> but he chose 12. And actually, Christianity is not the only religion that, that has had 12 tribes. There's been other religions that have 12 tribes. And even actually, when you look at Isaac and Ishmael, Ishmael also had, you know, 12 tribes. So it's not, it's not necessarily the number 12. That's not what we want to get hung up on. You don't want to get hung up on the, the reason the number exists, but the fact that the number does exist. So that's why Jesus chose 12, because 12 exists. It was already established by God. Now, when you think about the number seven, many people think that that is a complete number, if you will. Yes, the right? number of perfection or something like that. And, okay, I can understand little parts, or they think of it like a holy number of some sort, but the beast has seven heads. The dragon has seven heads. So how is that holy and righteous? It's it's a destructive animal that is destroying and killing God's people. Do you, do you see what I mean? Mm. So the number seven is very significant when identifying the winner and the loser. Okay. And this is kind of trippy in Deuteronomy chapter 28. Okay. Deuteronomy chapter 28 in the old Testament, God talks about the winners and the losers. Okay. People that actually obey his commands. And that's what we've talked about from the beginning, keeping God's command, right? If you obey God's command, if you keep God's covenant, then you become blessed beyond belief. Everything is blessed. You're blessed when you come in. You're blessed when you go out. Your fields are blessed. Your womb is blessed. The skies are blessed. Everything's blessed. And you win every war. It says your enemies will, will come at you from one direction, but they will flee in seven. seven. Think about that. Why seven directions? right? Why did God make the enemy inside of Revelation have seven heads, which actually represent seven people? Isaiah chapter 9 verse 15 says that the head represents an elder, a tail represents a false prophet when talking about an animal. So the heads of an animal, that's a leader, that's an elder, so a person. So in Revelation, the seven heads represent seven people, and when they lose, they flee in seven directions. seven directions. Now, the other thing, God's people are the same. So it says, if you betray God, right? The rest of Deuteronomy after verse 16 and on, if you betray God, then you lose everything. Mm -hmm. You're cursed when you come in, you're cursed when you go out. And when your enemy comes at you from one direction, you flee in seven. Now, why is that important? Because in Revelation, there's the seven messengers of God that are chosen. Seven messengers that are chosen first, and they fight and lose because they betray God. The enemy, which is the beast, comes at them from one direction. That's why it looks like one beast. But in reality, it's a group of people. But when you think about it like a vast army, you think of it like a giant machine that's coming, right? It's not just one individual, but they're like a conglomerate of, of a war machine. 
It's the same thing. The beast represents this organization of people with seven leaders that are a part of it. And they fight against God's people in the time of revelation and God's people lose. Why? Because they have rebelled against God. Remember 2 Thessalonians chapter 2? What's the first thing you're looking for? Rebellion. Rebellion. That's why the number seven is actually important because you can identify the winner and the loser. The one that flees in seven directions, they're the loser. So again, it's not so much like why this number, but it's really more about the, the fact that they constantly appear, that there is a pattern here and they actually indicate something not so much like why 12, why seven, why this number, I think is what you're saying, Instructor Aaron. Well, what is God's true desire for us? What is the ultimate desire that he wants? He wants us to believe. Believe in what? Believe in his work. Believe in what he's doing. Believe in God's fulfillment, his kingdom. The number one thing that God wanted from his people in the first coming was to believe that Jesus was his son, to believe that he was the chosen one. That's all he wanted. So how do you identify that? What did Jesus use to identify himself? One, miracles, but that wasn't good enough because there was many miracles. So what did Jesus do? I am the fulfillment. I am the fulfillment of this promise, this promise, this promise. All these prophecies, they are about me, he says. So how does God allow us to believe? John 14, 29. John 14, 29, Jesus says, I tell you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. I tell you now before it happens, that's prophecy. So that when it happens, that's fulfillment. What will you believe in? Believe in the fulfillment. But how do you know it came from God if there's no evidence? Mm -hmm. That's why the prophecies are so important. Yeah, yeah. So, Mika, in case you weren't overwhelmed enough, you know, we threw in a bit of numerology in there, prophecy fulfillment, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> I feel like every guest who joins us for a Road to Revelation conversation, they're such troopers. Mika, thank you so much for joining us on this one. Any, any last words before we let you go? Um, I, I can't wait to hear things again because I feel like, I would need to like specifically this particular episode. I want to listen again. It mm. just because it is a lot of information. It is it a is. lot of information, yeah. but it also does make sense. So I do want to sit down and listen to it again. Fantastic. Fantastic. And for all our listeners too, if you're stumbling on the Road to Revelation series on this episode as the first one, um, we highly recommend you go back to the first one and, you know, start that gradual progression of the figurative language that we are talking about here and my goodness like you know what instructor Aaron said earlier we only have one more to go before we move on to the next step so that's exciting we're actually getting somewhere on this road to revelation and we thank you so much every single time that you join us if you guys decide to do that and have questions please feel free to write to us the narrow door podcast at gmail.com mika um, where you can find her, what she's up to. We're going to link that in the show description. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode, Mika. And check Ooh. out Instructor Aaron. And your mom too. <laughs> yeah, YouTube, podcast, all that good stuff. It's down there. Thank you again. And we will see you on the Narrow Door Podcast next time. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Thank you.